Listeners everywhere, welcome to The Movie Show with Joel and Ryan, the weekly fix for your screen addiction and a trusted source for discussion of all things film and television. Please keep in mind that for the purposes of this podcast, Joel and Ryan are not acting as journalists, but rather fellow moving picture enthusiasts. All of their opinions should be taken as such. Also, please be warned that while Joel and Ryan may seem like petulant children, they are, in fact, adults who may occasionally use adult language. While they promise to bleep out all the worst words, it's a good bet you will still understand what they were saying. And now, with no further ado, here's Joel and Ryan. There's no need to be suspicious. It's just the movie show with Joel and Ryan. Welcome back for another week. I am Joel. And I'm Ryan. And we're uh, we're super happy to have you back. Um, uh, Ryan and I are doing old school, old school movie show again. Uh, just school. the two of us. Rocking um, it old school. And that's true. Next, I believe next week, though, we are going to get to have, no, next week, it's two weeks from now. We, we don't know uh, what the hell we're doing next week. If you no, got any no. ideas out there, send them on. <laughs> Reach out to us and ask Joel and Ryan on Twitter and Instagram. We came up with a cool backup plan for an episode, which we are yep. using this week, so we no longer that have is, that. That is indeed, and we uh, <laughs> we almost had we it was uh, we are we are really close to someday being able to do this in person again, where Ryan and I are sharing the same the same room, perhaps. Um, where yeah, we are both on our way to vaccinate being vaccinated so this is this is an exciting week yeah i'm actually feeling um, the effects of that right now are you yeah me too well i got i got my second one ryan got his first one uh so we that, that's why we had this black backup plan for a, I have a headache and it kind of hurt everywhere and i'm kind of dizzy <laughs> yeah I, small um, price to pay uh, for getting vaccinated but yeah i am uh i am wiped out and just i have been uh this is the first time i have been vertical really all day um and uh yeah and as soon as this podcast is over I'll going, be going back, back to bed indeed hitting the net but, no, that, but we but we love you dear listener yeah so very much and here we and are we still want to do uh we still wanted to do uh to talk some movies yeah and i think we got some fun movies. we got, well i know we have some fun movies to talk about today um but but first um, I did, I, we did want to, um, this is something that has come up on the show before and Ryan has always, um, been very, uh, consistent in, 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 our, and I should say concise. He's been very concise about, about our viewpoint towards, um, concise towards and I mean, consistent. But, yeah, that's true. Well, that's true. But I was trying to think of the word concise and I said, sure, but both apply, but both work. Um, yeah, they do. Um, the, the. Uh, obviously, the Oscar, uh, the Academy Award nominations came out uh, last week. Uh, in addition to the Academy Award nominations coming out last week, the Razzie Awards came out last week, uh, uh, Razzie nominations. Um, it, it, and and it sh- maybe we shouldn't even be giving them oxygen, but uh, I don't think. But we, 
I don't think but what we, hate we say Razzies. about them at this point makes any difference. But that's well, that's true. But we we hate the Razzies. Uh, the Razzies are just mean and dumb. Uh, the, They're and stupid, I to... vacuous, celebrity-oriented uh, hate machine. And it's not mm -hmm. as toxic. They have a little fun with their degrading well, of stuff they, they throughout the years in a way that yeah. like. Twitter hate is a lot more toxic and scary, I think, but they're yeah. still entirely negative and they, they revel in that in a gross sort of modern day TMZ way. And I just think they're mm -hmm. basically awful. I don't think they yeah, serve any I mean, useful purpose at all. I learned a little bit of history behind them that, you know, it was a publicist who thought it would be kind of funny to try to take down, you know, it was one of those years where, somebody who was up for uh, best actor or something also did kind of a crummy movie that year. And so they thought it'd be kind of fun to just sort of poke fun at, and maybe, right. you know, poke fun at the Hollywood, you know, elite system, you know, even though this publicist was part of it, but just, <laughs> it was all in good fun at the start, uh, theoretically. Right. And then, it, and then there was that brief little window of time where it was kind it was really kind of everyone was in on it and it was really fun like that year Halle Berry accepted in person a Razzie award the day before she got her best actor not her actress award for Monsters Ball mm -hmm. um you know there was that brief little window of time where everyone but now it is just um there's no purpose for it no. there there's I mean we live in it's had to keep up with a noisy kind of negative much crueler pop culture conversation and and yep. and and it it it's always been a stupid thing but now it's a stupid and like you say it's just kind of mean-spirited and stupid mm -hmm. it's it's it what i object about it, it's not so much its existence because it, it somebody was going to do something like that at some point there's so many award shows there might as well be a you know here's where you messed up kind of but it 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 it, it Mm -hmm. We just don't, we just fundamentally don't believe in that worst lists, worst yep. dressed. It's just, there's nothing uh, that we, we, plenty of criticism comes out of me over the courses of us talking about the things we like. So there's just no point in spending time being driven purely by the negative. And I, I don't like it for that. And I never will, yeah. and, you know, and um, I really don't like the way it's treated like the industry honors, you know, that where you really hear a lot more about the Razzies than you do the New York Critics Circle Awards and stuff. It's like, it, mm -hmm. you know, it, or the Screen Actors Guild Awards or whatever, where you really do have peers judging peers and stuff like that's that. There's way too many award shows, but at least there's some legitimacy, even people's choice. Even who yeah. wins or loses, you know, whatever, uh, singing competitions it's like that's still a, a positivity in a yeah. in a way so that's how that's why yeah, i don't and, like it yeah and you know we and we again we've talked on this show before about storytelling in this type of medium to tell a story this way there are so many different elements that go into trying to successfully tell a story frankly it's kind of amazing that anything comes out coherently on the level of um, something like wonder woman 1984 you know which i don't know if that's on the razzies list but that's certainly that, ca yeah. caught a lot of heat but it 
yeah, the at, with that kind of money and that sort of just massive amount of crew credits and creators mm-hmm. and things at the end. I mean, it's it's you know it is a wonder some of these work out as well as they do. Yeah. Um, and so. and our unwillingness to take things for what they are too, I think is that's on us as mm-hmm. audience members, but the Razzies don't help with that. They're like any other thing. Like we were talking about, um, you know, those, those VH one countdown shows or just any of those weird cable shows where they're just like, let's go back to 1985. And it's, they're all designed to reduce something to its lowest common denominator to th- therefore label it clearly and cleanly and then judge it for what it is. And that's yeah. just we just choose not to view this stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It, it's 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 complicated, and we revel in the complexities of it. So I, I don't like yep. I don't like using conventional wisdom to just write something off. I think that's right. miserable, and we mm-hmm. really try not to do that here. And that that's the Razzie's whole cottage industry. Yep. So uh, so boo Razzie's boo. Um, that's all. I think that's all we, we need to say about that. Um, so next well, up, what uh, made you think about that? Did something actually stick in your craw? Cause you wanted to bring uh, this up again. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, there's, um, there is a, not to put you on the spot, but I'm just curious why we're, no, I'm, I don't want to mention this actor's name because we have a future show idea where we're, we've talked about giving, um, talking about some current actors that, deserve some love, deserve some, maybe a little bit more recognition than they have. And, um, and one of them got put on a ra- this, on this Razzie's list. And she is like listed amongst all of these like multiple Academy award nominated actors. And, and she, she, I was listening to an, a, a conversation with her and she was like, I don't even know why. I mean, I guess maybe there's a compliment in there that they think that I'm on par with these people, but I'm still an up and coming actor and to be put on a list where they're just making fun of what, you know, what I did. Yeah, just ridiculing you. Yeah. Ridiculing. Making fun is one thing. Ridiculing is another thing. And that's, that is, that's the business of the Razzies. So, you know, and, and when you're, and you know, and when you're a, a Glenn Close, a Meryl Streep and Amy Adams and all stuff, you know, a little knock like that where you get put in, you know, no one cares. In right. fact, anyone goes, <laughs> that's when you get the little chuckle laugh of, oh, the Razzies. But when you put an up and coming actor who's just trying to make it and it's not like she had, you know, 14 projects that she had the option of doing and <laughs> chose this one and was an executive producer on it. As a, no, she was just trying to get a part and, and trying to do the best job. Um, that she could. So to put her on on this list is is uh, it, it really stuck in my craw because by all accounts she's a a good person and a very I I find an incredibly funny funny performer. So um, uh, yeah, and, and so and and we'll I'll talk about um, her whenever we do our fun. Um, let's give some other actors some love. Uh, our our you know. we're, right now we're calling it our favorite underrated actor, but. Yeah, underrated yeah, and, is uh, such a stupid, useless term too. It's, yeah. it's hard to. We'll, so we'll try and come up with a better name for that. Yeah, we're but, figuring. Yeah, we're still figuring out what that one's going to be called. But, but we all already. have our. We Joel and I have our favorites. What we consider somewhat unsung 
performers who mm-hmm. we 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 kind of want to bring to the surface and and shine the spotlight of love on. So we're gonna try right. and do that. Which is why, like, future. which is why we geeked out so hard when we got J. O. Sanders to come on. Yeah, because he's exactly the kind of guy we're. That's that exactly guy, the kind of dude you're yeah. we're talking about. Exactly. Um, yeah. Totally. Jay, Jay, Jay had a good shot at being on that list, even if one of us didn't know him personally. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah. So that's why, that's why it, it really did stick in my craw this week more than, and, and because the nominations came out, I wanted to, you know, again, reiterate, uh, cause Ryan has been, uh, well, they again, come up as sort of in our tr- little trivia bits and every time yeah. you see them come up, I wince and go, let's, let's not give them any. Mm-hmm. You know, let's just not, who cares about that? I just, I always, it's and not that I don't, people, yeah, it's not that I don't, I mind it too terribly much, but every time I'm always like, ah, why are we talking about the Razzies? I hate them. Yeah. It'll happen again in the future too. And me hating on them is part of the fun that might, we might as well just diss yeah, on the we, Razzies. You know, yeah, they, we've, they've we've got toyed it with ideas. Yeah. We've toyed with ideas for shows of like, uh, you know, singular moment that almost ruins an otherwise good movie, and you know, and and we've talked about these sort of things a little bit. Yeah, but and maybe we'll still do them. I don't know. the 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 point isn't that we aren't. We're always going to be rejoicing and Mister and Mister Positive because we're not. Mm-hmm. But we just at least try to celebrate the stuff you like. There's so yeah. much out there that is awesome yeah. and that moved us. And we all have different opinions about that stuff, but it, let's just, just do that. And if we do, a, a, like you say, if we do a negative list or if we do a, a negative highlight show, you know, even that will try and be, we're not trying to bring anybody down truly. Yeah. We're trying to still trying to celebrate what this, yeah, this, this I think we've earned, I mean, we've earned the right to do that every once in a while. I think people understand what we're all about. So Yep, the six of you out there that regularly listen. Thank you, by the Here's way. Here's the we do. movie show with Joel and Ryan. Salute to the six of you. Thanks, guys. We love you. Uh, <laughs> all right. So uh, next up, uh, you watched a couple films this week that you wanted to uh, give uh, a well, shout out to. Oh, just real quick. I, last night, in order, I watched um, Fair Game by Doug Lyman and then uh, The Green Zone by Paul Greengrass. And those two directors are the guys who make the Bourne films, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they each made really sort of serious thrillers about... They're both, to one degree or another, about the utter lack, the utter exactly zero, none whatsoever uh, weapons of mass destruction that were found in Iraq uh, after the after our invasion there. Zero, nothing, not not nothing was found. Like no evidence that there was anything ever there was found. Mm-hmm. And the green zone is about this. Uh, um, I want to. I don't know if it's Marines or the or the just the regular Army Rangers or what. But it's this captain played by Matt Damon who's charged with investigating all these leads that they got and finding mm-hmm. these places and securing them. And of course he, they keep sending them out to one after another, after another, and there's nothing there. There's absolutely nothing there. At one point they have the, him in the middle of a town square, just digging holes in the ground. And this Iraqi comes up to them and he's like, you think if they put a bunch of weapons here under the ground and in front of all these people that people wouldn't know that they were there. I mean, it's, it's what you're doing. You just are fools. You're absurd. Mm-hmm. 
And he, he becomes sort of a translator, and, it, and the movie becomes this thriller. It's the hunt for, uh, I can't, I'm not going to say his name wrong, but Oswar Mahari or something like that. Sorry, it's... The, the, the general, are you talking about? The uh, Muhammad al-Rawawi? al thank you. That's the uh, guy yeah, that they are going after, and there's sort of two sides of the same team that are looking for this guy. One who wants the truth, and one who really doesn't want any truth to come out and it's that's an interesting movie it's got plenty of excitement in it um it's both of these films you kind of know how they turn out so there there's no real suspense in that but uh seeing a soldier on the ground also amy um help me out amy oh i was right there to, um she plays a Wall Street um, Journal. Amy Ryan. Amy Ryan. Amy Ryan. I should have been able to remember that. Um, Amy Ryan plays a Wall Street Journal, you know, uh, writer who whose work was at least in part responsible for selling the war to people. And both her and this soldier and this sort of grizzled old uh, CIA guy are all having this sort of crisis of conscience over how that with how what they think they're there for and what is worth going to war for and what yeah. isn't and and while they're there just in the however many days they're doing this work that you see the narrative about what it's even all about start to change in ways that the narrative has always changed it's first it's well don't worry we'll find it we're right and then it's well even if we don't find it look we had to do this and then it's does it matter if we found it we're doing this now and that mm -hmm. those steps away from why we invaded a country it's stunning and the other fair game is is basically the story of Valerie Plame and her it's based yeah. on both her and her husband's books, basically. So it's very much from their point of view story of what happened to them when the White House chose to through um, through the print media to out an active CIA agent and the real human damage that was done as a result of that and how that also, how that story and how the definition of what they were got stamped on them. Yeah. It, she had op multiple operations with, uh, without deep cover operatives with, with local assets, basically who are just people with families and stuff mm -hmm. trying to do the right thing covertly. Her whole deal was that she cultivated these people. She got them to trust her. If they, if, she could put pressure on them. If there was pressure to be put on them, she would do it to get super valuable intelligence that was just completely askewed in the lead up to the war in Iraq. And then, and then, and then what happened to her when the, they got the conservative media dogs sucked on them. I mean, it's, it's sickening to watch a family of qualified, smart people who love America and have only ever done what they can to serve it. Just get, hammered in the press and in public it's a it's a really really good movie that it's not a super pleasant movie so you know i'm sure that's why yeah. these weren't big hits none of these post 9 11 movies did well none of us me included really wanted to be watching movies like the kingdom and uh there's a whole bunch of there's one with jake gyllenhaal what's it called and reese witherspoon 
rendition. Rendition. That's yeah. a stunning film, but it it's a downer. This is us and what mm-hmm. we're doing just a few years ago, and now what we're doing, even compared to that, is equally terrible. So it. So I get it. You you know what Joel said. You know, yeah, United '93 is great, but I'm I'm never gonna watch that again. <laughs> I, right. I sympathize, but it. Also, Paul Greengrass, by the way. Um, But those are worth considering because there weren't too many. Maybe Lions for Lambs wasn't so great, but there there weren't many bad movies made in reaction to that, what was going on in the world. And they aren't all uh, liberal propaganda pieces either. Peter Berg made a a movie about how we deal with people in the Middle East. That's Mm -hmm. and he's hardly a, a, a liberal you know a lot but he's just relatively thoughtful filmmaker or was at the time so mm-hmm. you know uh clint eastwood made one too that's interesting so i just i highly recommend green zone and fair game i would probably watch them in that order and not the order i watched <laughs> them in but yeah. it, it's up to you uh again these are big blockbuster filmmakers who are taking a moment out lowering their budget a little bit to make something that is important and there you can't help them be big box office hits at this point, but you can throw a little support their way and they'll make you smarter, more, more critical thinker from watching them. And Mm -hmm. what else that's, that's really an awesome thing for a movie to accomplish. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. Um, Okay. So kind of, I mean, so kind of along these lines or not, not too, not too uh, a distant of an adjacent turn here. Um, Yeah is uh our our main topic for today um we are going to talk about uh spy movies but this isn't a giant uh bond james bond three-part uh massive ranking you already have that at your disposal that is available to you um we are gonna go with uh we're today we're gonna talk about the movies of uh of an author and uh, television and in, in tell yeah movies and television the screen series. adaptations of the screen adaptations of the one david john moore cornwell everyone loves a cornwell novel on their <laughs> shelf um they just might not know it so so yeah uh, sir david um was better as best known by his nom de plume uh his pet name john le carre and uh yeah and uh which i didn't know that there was apparently uh there's no reason like like there's no rules against you can publish you can write books and stuff even if you're a, a you know an agent of mi5 or mi6 you just can't use your name um, um I, he had he was still yeah, so, working for them when he wrote his first novel or when yeah. he wrote his what he considers his first real novel. He had a couple yeah, of his, like Michael Crichton and some other writers. He had a couple run-up <laughs> test novels that uh, you know aren't even John Le Carre novels. But mm-hmm. uh, but he was still working for MI6 at the time, and so he, they had to mm-hmm. they got to read it and yeah. decide whether he could publish it or not. And he says about that novel that's the the first movie we're going to talk about, the spy who came in from the cold. Um, that he just, you know, where it's hard to imagine where I would be if my bosses at the time just said, nah, sorry, we're not gonna yep. let you do this. I mean, his, he, he's a, you know, 
he doesn't consider mm-hmm. himself a, a a spy. He considers himself a novelist, which is right. well, right, you know, right. But he um, was he yeah, was a guy working at the embassy in Germany during the Cold War, who was secretly, covertly to everyone there. Everyone in his own embassy, everybody that he, everyone he knew in his life, except for a couple of people back in London, he was a covert agent. He was watchdogging his team. He was watchdogging the other team. Um, that's a, it's that's not a glamorous spying job, but but he was yeah. with Berlin. You know, is the heart of the thing during the Cold War. Really, that was that was there not Moscow so much that was ground zero. That's where we were just right on the other side of the fence from each other and Mm -hmm. physically interacting with each other in a way that the folks in California were not interacting with the people in St. Petersburg, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, and he's, he's used that experience to deliver 30 or so of the, like I said, in his obit, uh, you know, a few weeks back at not, not the most exciting spy mob novels by any stretch, but consistently the most believable ones because because everything in his stories right down the line, and we'll talk about not all of them, but the majority of the them, big, yeah, these, the big most significant them. ones we'll talk about are, are absolutely ring true in a way that demonstrate the complications of the soul and the difficulties of life mm-hmm. and it, all the great sort of human uh, examinations that we do to each other in writing. It's all in his stuff. Second only yeah. as a British writer to uh, probably to Graham Greene in terms of this style of storytelling that really gets to the human mm-hmm. bits in a way that can change you, can shake you up as a reader. That's neat. Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, it's, it's kind of like that, that the idea of when, um, like a, 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 a person goes in and wants to be a cop because they've just been, they've grown up and watching, you know, car chases and running the criminal down and right. blah, 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 or, you know, I'm going to be a spy because boy, I watch all these James Bond films. And then, or like when, when you're a cop and you show up and you realize that now most of your day is spent doing paperwork and shuffling stuff around <laughs> and going and trying to interview people and get that, you know, get them. And it's, it's My- not, all As a that, side note, my favorite review of David Fincher's Zodiac was they should have called this movie Filing in the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. what, what he was yeah. trying to say was this movie is boring. <laughs> it's really right. boring, which it is boring to a degree, but it's it's also it rings true when you watch it. Yeah. And, and it it rings true when you watch it. It's an attempt to make a, a, a story out of serial killer events of which Fincher's very famous seven is the opposite. Yeah. That is literally a Hollywood serial killer made from out of Hollywood pixie dust to, yeah, yeah. to spook you and to make you feel certain things. But it, 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 uh-huh. it isn't ring true at all. That movie's just a, it's total BS. doesn't yeah. mean it's not a good movie, but it, you know, it, this was his answer it's, to that yeah. was, well, here's what this kind of thing does does to you it does to a person and in this case in that case a group of people le carre's stories tend to be very focused on one central character but Mm -hmm. um but it that that's 
that's what his, I mean, whether he set it down as an edict, that's what his work does best. And that's really, really valuable and interesting in my opinion. Yeah. You found that, you found that great quote that he, uh, that he said where he talks about how the spies that he writes are different than like the superhero spies, like James Bond. Uh, he, He said, a mostly aging, weary, unromantic lot, prone to distressing stomach ailments and having trouble with their wives. So that's yeah, that's what you're gonna get. That you know, that's that's what these that's what these that's, in this case these that's men what are. He was yeah. to some degree, and that's the what the people he worked with all were. And um he he yeah. really shines a light on that in a way. Well, there's still plenty of sneaking around and it and Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly just enough in almost every one of these just enough conventional adventure to get you through which i you know mm-hmm. it's it's just just typically they're just the right mix of the two things you know because uh uh who's the guy who created bond again um uh, ian fleming yeah you know he was a spy too ian during fleming. world war ii mm-hmm. but he he was he and he knew this he was he was using his experience when writing Bond too, but he was it was it was to him it was a send up. He was desperately trying to entertain people and just sprinkle enough authenticity into it that you could allow your suspension of disbelief to right. so you could kick back and enjoy yourself. But uh, Le Carre is on a whole different level in terms of what that work really was, and we'll. we'll mm-hmm. I'll just tell you right now, so, we're we're Joel's gonna Joel's loaded up with some plot synopsises for us, which are going to be very helpful. And you guys who maybe haven't seen a lot of these, uh, tell them apart. Mm-hmm. But I I'm not going to analyze these plots very much. I'm going to nope. partly because I can't, and the reason I can't yeah. is because they're really complicated, and it's very it's you can't with two sentences say what a John Le Carre plot is. They, that's not possible. You can right. you can say what the setup s- is. Mm-hmm. And then what are, happens? It, it yeah, is these always, are spy films, and so those those reveals, those uh, those twists and turns, are a giant part of the plot. Um, and so, they really are unconventionally surprising, and they really are mm-hmm. difficult. And many of them, sometimes depending on the novel, all of them can be downbeat sort of turns for the worse. Um, it's. It it really isn't important how the mission or it isn't I shouldn't say it's not important but it's it's less important how the mission turns out who gets away free than who's been changed and how by these events right. so we're right. gonna dive into that more specifically so so we're gonna be talking about these um, in relative chronological order however we still sort of feel like. We can call this a countdown of John Le Carre adaptations. Ten seconds. Nine. Nine. Eight. Seven. Six. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. That's sort of not a countdown. Countdown. Um, it should. It's not a countdown. But it should feel like a countdown. Yeah. So and uh, that for the start. given the subject matter is kind of perfect. Yeah. So we're gonna start with 1965, uh, and the first uh, the you know it was his first big novel. It was his, it was obviously the one that put him on the uh, 
It's break breakthrough novel. It's considered breakthrough one novel. of the better novels in the English the language. It, so it shows up on many top one hundred lists. It is by several people considered. Although he his novels may have gotten better and better, but it, but at the time it was revelatory and that you really felt like you were reading something real, yeah, which yeah. the that, escapist yeah, spy books of the era, the sixties, were anything but that. Yeah, and this was fast turnaround because the book came out, I believe, in 63. And so then two years later, we get the movie adaptation. Yep, immediately so, optioned. Yeah. Uh, Martin yeah, Ritt so they, they knew. is the director. Uh, relatively and, um, early in his, although he directed a lot of movies throughout his career, but relatively early going in his career. This, it was stars uh, Richard Burton at Richard the Burton. height, at the very, very height of Richard Burton, Elizabeth Taylor mania in England and to a lesser degree in America, but definitely in England. And it was all shot, you know, it, Germany for England basically was all shot in the UK and in Ireland mm. and such. Uh, so, right, uh, yeah, so this one is, um, yeah. So this one was the first sort of movie that established the spy game, not as a life of glamor and adventure, but as a world blanketed by paranoia and suspicion, which you'll hear us talk about a lot. Uh, <laughs> right. Talk about these films. Burton um, plays a guy who, you know, right after the Berlin Wall comes up, you know, is kind of brought home and just doesn't have, I mean, he's this, he's this, he's a typical, I don't know, he's even more morose, frankly, than a typical John le Carré actor who usually are, well, it's a mixed bag, but this, yeah. this guy is a war grizzled veteran spy master yep. who knows nothing else and has no other meaning in his life and insists yep. on being given another mission. And he's given sort of a hopeless one. Yeah, there's right a, as a, he's starting to yeah. fall in love with this like mousy librarian down the street played <laughs> brilliantly by Claire Bloom. You know, yeah. it, it, there's a sadness in that, that right as he's like, like his life, you, you're not sure that that relationship could not work out at all. But it there's this glimmer of something else, some other sort of life for him that's just a, that he's on the precipice of when he sort of dives back into this mission. And the mission is, is, isn't is you have to go here and find out what these guys are doing and blow this thing up to save the world it's you have to go there be interviewed and interrogated ruthlessly for days and days and days and you have to keep your head above you enough to slowly leak our cover story to these bad guys mm -hmm. until they believe you've made enough mistakes that they believe what you're pretending to hide the misinformation that's the mission yeah. and we watched that happening that's this that's also the movie to a certain degree but it goes it, it gets out of hand and goes even further than that. And the woman that he just met who he begs to have them not get involved gets completely involved. It's the first uh, novel appearance and screen appearance of his signature character, George Smiley. He was a very small part in this. Yep. But, um, but so we'll talk about him more in a bit, but... Uh, it's that first appearance of that guy who kind of is the guy that really the guy behind the scenes mm -hmm. and it's sad and Burton, you know, we talked about on our anniversary show. I, I brought it up. In fact, like I wanted to get it out while Brian was sitting there and had to listen to me on my own show. That was kind of mean. <laughs> um, 
well, where he had to, to, at least to some degree, politely nod along with me without making too big enough of an argument. Uh, so, you know, I, that was deliberate on my part. Sorry. I mean, I, I didn't plan it ahead of time, but I knew what I was mm -hmm. doing when I was doing it. Um, I love Richard Burton. People call him like a wooden stilted sort of that British stage actor that has no personality on screen. But I really think when you go back, I think when you are that you, you come across like a person in old films, which, you know, this is something Rob will appreciate. And I would guess, I can't say that I can't speak for our buddy, Rob Dunkelberger, friend of the show, super fan. Yep. But I would One, guess six. he loves The Spy Who Came In From The Cold because it's exactly his kind of old classic yep. movie. But what it has at the heart of it that a lot of those films don't have is this guy who's... It, Burton's given it a go. I mean, he's this alcoholic. He's it, There's a little melodrama in the film. But, it, but it, those moments work because the rest of the time he's playing things so close to the chest and stuff. And, and that's why it's... It was a wonderful, melancholy, it's just a, a, a really human thing to watch. I'd never seen this movie. I just, I finished watching it an hour ago for this show. <laughs> so, you know, because 1960, yeah. whatever, it's black and white. Who wants to watch that? You know, eh, Unless you're doing a John le Carre. Right. Uh, then it, then you look at the yeah. list and you're like, well, I don't have yeah. to have seen every one of these to talk about them, but I, I got to clearly, I have to see this one, his debut novel, a, right. a, re, a, a really major film in its day. Um, Burton's perfect for it because of that. If you, if you to put, uh, yeah, I don't know who you to put. He's perfect for it in a lot of ways. Cause he is this guy. He's even at as young age at 39, he's this washed up, has no liver, you know, he, he went into the doctor. <laughs> this is a true story about Richard Burton. He went into the doctor when he was turned 40-something and, and because he because he couldn't get up in the morning and it took him like half the day to just be able to move around normally. And so he went and had it looked and it, it turned out that his spine was crystallized with alcohol. That's what, that's what a drinker we're talking about. Yeah. And the character he plays is that guy too. It's part of why he's picked for this mission because... He's a high, high functioning alcoholic who is able, who spent a whole lifetime performing well, even though he's not been at full capacity. And that's what the mission is. It's to be in control of what you're saying at all times to the point that, that your, that your deliberate mistakes are believed. That's the key to the whole thing working. And like all good spy models, it nothing works the way it's supposed to. And everything's, right. you have to adjust to on the fly. And it was a tremendously moving film, beautiful black and white photography, uh, and Claire Bloom too. My goodness, she's 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 really good at it. And 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 as with typical uh, you know film properties today and back then, the the guy was like, well, we got to get this guy. Yeah, we got our first choice. You know. He's yeah. a star. And then it's like, now let's look at every available woman and put them all through the ringer. And, you know, so that we have 8 million options. Yep. Uh, even when the, and, and Burton who brought along a lot of his friends to be in it. Cause he was a very powerful star at the time. Didn't want Claire Bloom because she, she was an ex of his and he was in a very volatile current relationship <laughs> with, uh, it was essentially the love of his life yeah. and just didn't want any of that stuff right. going on 
In fact, he wanted I, I think, he wanted I Elizabeth that, Taylor that was an to issue. play. I was going to say, I would think that that would be an issue Richard Burton probably ran into quite a bit was, ooh, she's an ex of mine. <laughs> I'm sure more more than the average <laughs> Joe. Yeah. No, no question. Anyway, it anywho. That's the behind the scenes drama. You know, he wanted he wanted mm-hmm. Liz to play the role, and uh, she's a good actor. She could have done it, but it but Claire Bloom is perfect for it. Yeah. Even yeah. John Le Carre, who thought the casting of both of them was terrible, got a lesson in Hollywood that he ended up finding was very pleasant, which is that just the collaborative nature of the thing and the fact that these people aren't. You know, Richard Burton's not a Roman centurion. <laughs> That's not yeah. who you're getting. You're getting an actor who can do different things. And mm-hmm. in this case, you're getting a guy who really, at least to some very key parts of this role, can relate directly to what it is, who this guy is, in a way that's mm-hmm. going to read as honesty on the screen. Bloom is a little more actorly, but I she, I've always liked her a lot. You know, Jay... O. Sanders told that story about her over yeah. in Italy doing daylight yeah. when she was older, which I thought was funny. You know, she's very, she, she's, she's one of those actors who's got enough highlights that we think of her as a classic great actor, but she has for every highlight, she has a movie. She deeply regrets that she did. And for every great movie she said yes to, she said she turned down a hundred good movies. She's one of those people who just was like, yeah. No, 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 you know. <laughs> yep. Um, yeah. So, for any number of reasons, yeah. So. This is as good as I've ever seen her in anything, and she's really good. Uh, I just really loved her in it. So, yeah. Spy Who um, Came In From the Cold is, is great. It's, it's dark, rainy days and black and white and twinkling piano, and every once in a while, a saxophone and. People are drinking and smoking and whispering at each other, and and it, it's just moody and amazing. It's it was really of, really yeah, good. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's like spy noir a little bit. Um, Which is what all these are to one degree or yeah. another. Yeah, um, but I mean, this kind of was part of the introduction of that. Um, but yeah, it's a, such a lonely movie. She she's such a lonely right. character. He's such a loner. You know, the guys who are helping him aren't his buddies and don't. Uh, can up, can only yeah. afford to care about him to the degree that the mission works. You bring and they engineered and, um, this one to where it can work even if he never comes back. Yeah, and yeah. that's all. And they it's not sneaky. It's not like halfway through he finds out mm-hmm. they never cared about me at all. He there. This is their <laughs> first conversation they have. This is all above board, and we all get what we're part of. It's mm-hmm. it's. You know, like I say, that kind of thing is old hat now. I think in '65, it kind of blew people's minds. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure it did. You bring you you bring up a a, a key word that will come up several times throughout this. It's something to keep in mind as you as you watch all of these films. That you know, I think one of the big things that Lacare is uh, talks about, or not talks about, but what he shows you is the loneliness of this profession. Where when you put your country and your duty for country above literally everything else, it becomes it's an incredibly lonely existence. Well, that was his um, experience. He he yeah. was who he was, what he was doing was a secret to everybody he was surrounded with all those years. Mm-hmm. He, he was doing this work. So that and isolation these, 
It also gave him a lot of all of his free time. He was able to write novels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and yeah. And, um, yeah so, he, uh, so it had. I can't it, the there were some benefits was, to that kind of lifestyle. Yeah, there was uh, <laughs> he, I, in reading about Lacari. He was talking about uh, there was he had like a mentor who was also a uh, you know an MI. I think this one might have been still an MI five, but whatever. But he who also wrote know, novels, who, wrote crime, also novels. wrote novels. Yeah, and um, <laughs> more more old fashioned pot boiler type things. But yeah. still, that was his hobby was, was writing novels. It was like you got to do something to fill your time. Might as well, yeah. You're not going to be you know. hanging out with your pals or any of that because nope, he just. Nope. So, and yeah. all of I mean the ones the movies that I've uh, of these that I've seen and I and I will admit that I haven't seen all of these uh, movies and series. Um, I've seen a, a, a good number of them, but they all of them always have a moment too where it's a wide shot and far like in the distance is our our hero, you know, whether it's Smiley or, or somebody else. And and it's this, and there's nothing else around him. It is this moment of that dude is all alone. <laughs> he has nobody. Yeah. Uh, and and it's the choice. It is a choice to be that way. And and um, and the others where the 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 where the outside element is somebody, mm-hmm. you know, it, it really shows what a complication adding yeah. a, adding somebody to nobody is in this sort of world. And Spy Who Came In from the Cold is that part of it is a little bit the fantasy from the author's standpoint, but it it's. It just yeah. really makes the thing resonate and come home, because it 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 I've said what a modern thing it is was for sixty five, but it's still old fashioned storytelling, you know, in, in that way. It it could it can't be older because it's the start of the Cold War, basically. Yeah. But it 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 could be the black and white photography, all that the the process behind the people in a car is all mm-hmm. very super old fashioned, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely pre graduate as we talk about in that right. way, but right. Um, all right. So next up, we, we, we move all the way to 1979 and we, uh, do a, a, a mini series. Yeah. He had a few adapt version. adaptations came out yeah. after this and he really started ramping up his novel writing, but they didn't, there wasn't the, the very next movie adaptation of his didn't do super well. So they kind of, we're like, okay, well, yeah, and it was a similar kind of story that didn't do well. So Hollywood decided, in a nutshell, well, this dude's stuff. Like we've yeah. we've done our version of it, and now that it's over, and that happens to a lot of novelists. You know, Michael Connolly. How many novels has that guy written? He's right. he's basically got one movie that's been adapted, and it did okay, but it didn't do great. And they decided, well, you're not a you're, you're, yep, you, we're not going to do a series of this stuff unless it's gangbusters. Vince Flynn, you know, you just go down the list of all these guys who you read on the yeah. beach and or or women, you know, uh, novelists, and they kind of get if they're popular enough, they get their shot. Shot, you know, uh, right. Press uh, Lincoln Child and Douglas Preston write nothing but big. Michael Crichton like Hollywood adventures, and they've only ever had one adapted because yeah. it wasn't great. That's it. That was your shot. Yep. So you that know, was your shot. Um, that was kind of what yeah. happened to Le Carre. A little bit of what happened to him post the spy who came in from the cold. But then Until. I think it was yeah, and then you get um, uh, the BBC 
says, well, let's take let's take this uh, Lakari novel and we'll make it into a mini series where we can spend a little bit more time. Well, because he wrote and, a novel that is essentially uh, that requires very little. Uh, and th th this was necessary to the BBC. If you watch any old Doctor Who or whatever, it, you mm -hmm. know, you can shoot on location out in Cornwall or what, yeah. you know, or you can go to Stonehenge, but you, you, <laughs> you're not going to be shooting in Shanghai. You know, it's not going to yep. be that kind of thing. If it's a BBC deal, even I Claudius, right. Is, is just sets very theatrical, like yeah. sets. And you may hear the roar of the Coliseum in the background, but we will not be that we will not be going up the VOM out into the Coliseum where you can actually see any of that happening. It's, it's all very, enclosed yeah. and you know that's you'll, just how they had to do stuff. in the bowels of the coliseum well yeah, or in an empty chamber lucare was kind that. enough to write a novel where that is essentially the, it's there's a couple things a couple things that broaden the story but it is mostly a insider guy playing an inside game the 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 coolest and deadliest of all and they got the great he's a little He's a little old, even for a Le Carre, um, you know, hero, uh, yeah, Alec yeah. Guinness, but he's perfect. He is perfect for this role, yeah. and and he was beloved by England, so you know, it was a good, it was a good, it was a good role for him, even though he he notoriously was insecure about the work that he was doing. Right. Um, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, the miniseries, they essentially were able to, because it was a miniseries, they were able to shoot all of it, you know, do yeah, it all. Much, we yeah. talked about this back in the Jane Austen episode, which this episode is going to mirror a lot, even though it's completely different type of content. It's still an author's work that has similar themes going throughout them. Um, you know, when they do a Jane Austen miniseries and they can spend four or five hours on it, you get all of it. Yeah, you really get yeah, all the characters. You get the differentiations between them, how they're important, how they affect each other. You don't have to abbreviate or combine anything. And when you don't mm -hmm. have to do that, you really feel like you got the full experience and this delivered that. And this story, uh, without going too much into it, is full of surprises and yeah. and just really really clever uh, it's about really yeah. really smart people it's a, it's an author who's so smart that he can write this story about really really smart people outsmarting each other um mm -hmm. and and still the collateral damage that goes along with any you know any sort of subterfuge you know but it really it Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy really is a game the the um the metaphor for it, which is a time old metaphor, is chess. And um, and if you're really clever, you check out the shingle for this week's show, and it has a spoiler in it for Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. So mm, check, okay. it it, check it out. It's not such a spoiler um, that I am just like telling everybody <laughs> everything. <laughs> I wouldn't do right. that. But I, I found the piece of art very clever, and... I find that story clever, and it was so popular that they did a sequel to it a few years later. Yeah, the Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is um, we we mentioned, and the spy who came in from the cold. We we meet, mentioned George um, Smiley, George Smiley, who is a and and this is where George Smiley 
takes center takes, stage. Yeah, uh, he bees the main character in Tinker Taylor, and he's a recurring main character in this era of uh, yeah. John Le Carre novels. They 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 because Tinker Taylor the miniseries was so popular, they wanted to do another, but they couldn't do the next one because, as I say, the next one took place in Hong Kong or someplace, Thailand, someplace where it was like, well, we can't do that one. So they just skipped to the next one, which also yeah. was primarily based in London and some places in Europe called Smiley's People, which is also... Also really, with Alec Guinness and, yeah, all re, the... All re, the replaying his quote. Yeah. Most of the same actors coming back to play the actors that made it through to that novel, uh, mm -hmm. one key exception, but it, it's really, really good. And at that point was... That went from, hey, let's make a miniseries out of this. It won't cost much. We we just need to get Gil Good or Richardson or somebody to do it, mm -hmm. and it'll be it would be fine. This was highly anticipated because it was the sequel to an extremely popular miniseries that yeah. was also popular in America because it's awesome, but it wasn't. It's not for American audiences the same way the. 1979 television. I mean, think about what that was. Fantasy Island, Love Boat, Dallas, Dukes of Hazzard, yeah. Charlie's Angels. It was escapist nonsense, basically. Wall-to-wall -wall escapist nonsense. Right. And this was just the opposite of that. It was this very somber and, you know, mm -hmm. uh, very smart without being uh, demonstratively satisfying story. And... So, but it was a hit here, just like a lot of those English miniseries were, just kind of by a, only a certain group of people, a sort of public right. television people. I call them uh, Vikings cruise uh, participants these days. That's why I tease them. <laughs> yeah. That's a certain um, kind of person. I grew up next door is, to the, yeah. a couple like that, <laughs> you know, um, who, who would mm -hmm. see the world in comfort and, and just were really smart and were not into any sort of conventional entertainment they only liked these things that were that felt yep. important and were you know mm -hmm. they were television <laughs> for people who don't own a television put it that way too that yeah if you know or the those... people that would have the tail during the week would have the television covered by a shawl <laughs> and then they would uh take the shawl they allow themselves a couple hours of television and their watching of tinker taylor soldier spy would represent something of a compromise in their artistic mm -hmm. lives Yes, yeah, yes. because if it was because Hercule Poirot was not on that week. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, the point is anywho. when when Smiley's people came out, it was a big deal. It was a big yeah. deal. It was a sequel to a big hit that had grown only in esteem over those few years. Mm -hmm. uh, and Tinker it, Taylor Soldier, but it's an extremely complicated story, even compared to Tinker, which is very complicated. It's a really, yeah. really complicated plot. There was a, a, a English radio DJ who had a show every Monday after the Sunday airing of Smiley's People called "Does Anyone Know What Happened?" <laughs> it was a call-in <laughs> show for a couple hours about the previous night's episode, where that's spectacular. British British people would call in and try and explain to him what was going. <laughs> show which of course many of them that. did a terrible job of and there's that's ripe right. for comedy of all kinds apparent and and cornwell being the what he was um le carré mm -hmm. he thought that was really really funny like he he loved that he, yeah. <laughs> he thought that yeah. was great oh yeah what God, is going on that's a good question 
um, yeah, I, I mean, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, I mean, it's, that it, story is loosely based on a real life thing that happened in England. Right. Um, and, and to him happened and he was, you know, sort of tangentially involved in, yes. in, in those, uh, in, in this. He's represented, I can't remember who and, did, cause it's been a million years since I saw the 79 mm -hmm. version, but his care, his himself is represented in the 2011 version by Benedict Cumberbatch's character. So check yeah. that out. And when you're watching it, realize to some degree, the whole story is from that guy's point of view and mm -hmm. it gives it a different spin, I think. Uh, and we'll get to that Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy in a bit, but no. um, yeah. So then, uh, so then you get yeah, you get Smiley's people uh, highly anticipated that one. So Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is more about um, uh, trying to route out a mole um, in the to in hunt the out a spy yeah. amongst your amongst yourselves amongst spies. Yeah, and then uh, Smiley's people um different but very you know different but similar uh again george smiley like he was in ticker taylor soldier spy he's brought out of retirement um yeah. and uh, uh and, and he uh when one of his former assets and uh, uh and and general uh is found murdered and tidying up loose ends for the circus in the circuses uh what is they what they call their offices and their mm -hmm you know, their, um, uh, headquarters or whatever. Yep. Uh, and it's former employers. He discovers a clandestine operation run by his nemesis, Carla yeah. for his own personal benefit. And so, yeah. And, uh, and Carla and, and uh, and smiley are the Queens on the chess set. Yep. Um, the, the, uh, and it's important to understand about smiley too. He's this understated, very English, um, easy guy to root for because he's, he's, he's always hunting uh, ostensibly the bad guy. Um, but you know, he, he's the guy back in spy who came in from the cold. He's a very minor character in that, but he's the guy they, where they essentially promise the only, only condition Burton has his character for going for going on this dangerous mission is to leave the girl out of it, leave her out of it. I don't even want mm -hmm. anybody to know she exists. And they are both of them are all oh yes, absolutely. And it's Smiley when things aren't working out that brings the girl into it. That is a really ruthless and at the time turns out to be a very damaging thing. And, but it's also the key to the mission working. Doesn't work right. It's like an A-team plan. It doesn't work right. It just works. Um, but at what cost? You have to ask yourself that. So that's, yeah. so he's, he's the, he's the inside operative ever. Like I, in all of literature, he's the guy who, yeah. um, uh, Joel brought up a different guy, the the CIA equivalent of this guy, which is played brilliantly by Matt Damon and Robert De Niro's uh, The Good uh, Shepherd. Yeah. Good Shepherd. Which is a, truly a true story, a, a biography. It's a kind of longer film with a bigger scope. But same thing, a, a behind-the-scenes guy who he doesn't go 
to Paris and drink martinis and have sex with models. He just, it never goes anywhere. He just reads the reports and figures everything out. Every once in a while, he maybe interviews somebody or interrogates somebody, if you will, but he yeah. just stays in his office and fights the Cold War better than anybody else alive. Yep, and makes and makes the insanely hard decision when the insanely hard decision needs has to, to be, be made. made. And and mm-hmm. that that's what Smiley is. He's a he's a fascinating character, and, an amazing, character. and lets other people take the glory. Right. Let's that that part's yeah. not important to him. No, he's yeah. also these fil- these mo- these books of his started getting stagnant in a way because of Smiley. Now, they're great books, but. He became the Le Carre sort of Bond stand-in, and what was needed for his novels to evolve, to some degree, was a, a genius thing that I think happened in our our next film. Right? What's our next mm, movie? Yeah, Little Drummer Girl. Right. It starts there and and continues where Little Drummer Girl is just about an actress who's good at lying that is recruited by the Mossad, the Israeli intelligence agency to, uh, out a bunch of terrorists, Mm -hmm. but she's not a spy. She's not a deep thinker. She's an actor and she's, which is the job of a spy, maybe as much or more than anything. But, um, that film was made by George Wright Hill and stars Diane Keaton. And it has a bit, of a light touch for my tastes. Those are sure. both people that I like a lot. Keaton, you know, it's good in it. And George Roy Hill, I think is a fantastic actor. He made Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid and yeah, the sting and stuff like that. It, that that's his forte. Um, but he's, he is, he's not one to really revel in the dark shadows. He's just not that kind of storyteller. It's, this is, this is a sting kind of, uh, <laughs> of, uh, George Lacare uh, adaptation. Kind, exactly. Even yeah, though yeah. the novel really isn't that at all. The novel really is the story of, of a relative innocent caught up in the dark, awful games of the intelligence mm-hmm. agencies of the day. And we'll talk a little bit more about Little Drummer Girl in a bit, too, because there's another adaptation of that coming up around the corner. Um, yeah. I think a more faithful one. But, mm-hmm. but that change, the outsider... The really intelligent, adaptive outsider being brought into this world—that that's a that's a a step of much further sophistication on behalf of Lacare's writing. He's no longer quite writing what he knows. He's getting bold enough to create these people now that are somewhere outside of his experience and to still have them ring true on the page and therefore on the screen. So yeah, he can can bring, yeah, he can ask the question. He's comfortable enough to ask the question. Well, uh, what would happen if someone who had no idea what was going on came into this world? Yep. Um, And, and how, and what, and, and to go, okay, how would they logically react? How would they emotionally react and then what? What? How what, that screw what up? is different about them that yeah, would make their decisions yep. a raw and unpredictable element in these typical stories? Whereas mm-hmm. with Smiley, you you don't know how he's going to get there because you're baffled the whole time. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And you literally yeah, yeah. need him to explain it to you at the end. It's very yeah, almost it's very heightened and very intelligent, but it's almost Agatha Christie like in that way. Um, whereas that now suddenly it's different. You really don't know. His characters don't know. 
he to to some degree as an author feels like he doesn't really know and therefore there's this there's very much a you know wow it, it adds a lot of tension to the storytelling i really mm -hmm. really dig it um yeah and, and it so becomes the norm not yeah. completely but it more or less becomes the norm from here on out in his stories right because the next uh the next one movie we're going to talk about um the russia house uh is the same sort of thing where you yep. get a uh is he a bookseller a book uh, he's a bookseller he sells yeah. like peng it's not penguin classics but he basically sells the classics yeah. to different bookstores throughout europe he he his publishing firm publishes classic literature and essentially um public domain literature <laughs> yeah in these finely bound editions for people who really like books and he's a yeah. reader and he's a writer himself and he's in in a big way he's into tolstoy and the big russian epics and russian culture and he goes on these visits to moscow in ways that and other Russian places in ways that other Westerners don't because he, all he's doing is selling books and mm -hmm. the Russians love him because he's very well read and well, you know, mm -hmm. really understands Russian literature and Russian culture in a way other people don't. And it plays uh, in the film played by Sean Connery in one of his very, very best screen roles, per perhaps not Absolutely. his most celebrated, but um, yeah, it's great. And it's also great to see the guy who made bond bond play this yeah. total other you know, this play, play this bond. outside yeah. element guy who has no business mm -hmm. spying or anything yeah um it's a fantastic performance by him as a matter of fact it's i feel like of, of, of a lot of his performances this is this guy is the closest to sean connery that we probably have on screen like this really is feels yeah. like a cl very close cousin of his um he goes to this retreat and there's a guy, this mysterious guy there played by Klaus Maria Brandwar, a former Bond villain. They, they were in Never Say Never Again together. They was villains. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. They played that stupid holographic video game against each other, <laughs> if you guys remember that. Yeah, yeah. Um, also, Maria Brandwar was replaced by Sean Connery at the last second in Hunt for Red October. Oh, get out. It was supposed to be Harrison Ford and Klaus Maria Brandwauer, which would have worked because the bigger star was the hero and then the mm -hmm. submarine guy could be a different sort of character actor. When they went with the young Alec Baldwin, they felt they had to up the sub-captain to a bigger star and Connery agreed to do it. And mm -hmm. the rest is history. Um, so just there's some connections between these guys. But the fact that they'd been in a movie together actually helps because there's a real chemistry and connection with them in these only couple of sort of philosophical discussions they have to have together. Um, so it's just a guy. He's just a guy. Yep. Just and a guy he gets, who happens to know a lot about Russia and, and, Russian and a guy culture. who, yeah, there's a, and he just happens to bump into a guy who literally knows enough to change the world. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's overselling it to say that that's what's at stake. And, and that guy trusts him and brings him into this web of intrigue where suddenly the CIA, led by great uh, Roy Scheider and the MI6 with uh, the awesome Edward Fox, also in Never Say Never Again. Mm -hmm. um, James Fox. Sorry, is it James Fox? In, in Yes, James Fox. Oh, sorry. Edward Fox was the guy in Never Say Never Again. So it's just his yeah. brother. 
Right. No offense to these guys because they're different. They're brothers, but they do play the same type of guy pretty much movie uh-huh. in and movie out. Um, Ed is a little bit more, I think, c- comedically buoyant than James. James got a little bit more intensity, but they're really similar on screen. So sorry. And their their kid, Lawrence Fox, is really an awesome actor, too. I don't remember. One of them's their uncle. One of them's his dad. Like I said, I get them mixed up. I can't tell you. But that's not important right now. What's important? What's important is that all, there's also a great cameo, kind of by uh, filmmaker Ken Russell, who's ridiculously over the top and fun in it. Uh, didn't know, cause didn't want to know is one of his lines, and it's just fantastic. Everything that comes out of his mouth is a quotable, fun, cartoonish thing. It's very enjoyable. Yeah. You, not every character can be like that. Only this little character, but it's great. But what happens is. This friend of Brandwire's character, um, her played by Michelle Pfeiffer in this case, her whole family gets caught up in this thing. And she's an innocent person that our hero feels he's he feels he has to protect. And nobody involved in this, in ways we've seen up till this point in all of these novels, nobody is on her side. Nobody cares what happens to her. They yeah. don't care at all. They don't come out and say that, but they are. They would sacrifice a hundred of her to get this information, and it, our hero is aware of that. And the whole thing is his. With all these super spies involved, it's his juggling act of trying to do what he thinks, what he agrees is maybe an important thing for the West, but to try and protect himself for sure, and this woman that this younger woman that he ends up sort of falling in love with um pfeiffer's great in it i already said connery's fantastic in it it's packed to the rafters with great character actors oh it's so good roy scheider john john mahoney uh uh i think jt walsh is in this uh uh yeah just all sorts of just great really 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 good cast and a really smart film and fred Chapizzi, the director of it he's a little like George Roy Hill. He he doesn't take the foot off the gas quite the way Hill did in the first version of Little Drummer Girl, but he keeps things... It's like there's there's saxophone, but it's Brantford Marsalis or whatever, so it's kind of jazzy and okay. <laughs> it, yeah. it, there's this sense that there's a bit of a comedy of errors nature to the story, and he brings all that out without losing much of the inherent tension involved. Um... It's a good. It's a really good movie from 1990. If you want to go back and check it out, if you haven't yeah, seen it, it, it yeah, yeah. and it or works. if you saw it when you were a kid and thought it was kind of dull, as an adult, I can tell you it's a whole different film. It's really different. We, mm-hmm. As you mature, the mature storytelling in that goes a long, lot longer. Yeah, so. I think it's probably yeah. Because it was one of those movies where I thought six, seven years ago, yeah. I, I saw, you know, Hunt for Red October, and then I saw this on video. It's this next film. It was about Russia and stuff. I mean, I expected yeah. a spy movie, and I, I didn't know what I watched. I didn't hate it, but it stuck with me. And then as I've mm-hmm. seen it a few times throughout the years, it's a, it's a winner. It gets kind of better every time, so that's yeah. a good film. Um, so following in the footsteps of a, another Bond Jumping into a Lacare uh, sort of anti bond, um, yeah, indeed, uh, the anti bond, yeah. or really yeah. is it? We'll talk about yeah. that. 
Yeah. Uh, Pierce Brosnan, who was still Bond at the time. He <laughs> right. still had one more Bond movie, if I remember yeah. correctly. Uh, if I got my dates right. Um, but yeah, uh, Pierce Brosnan um, is... Uh, Pierce Brosnan plays with... literally plays a Playboy super spy in it. Yep. Yeah. Um, but because the story <laughs> is not from Pierce Brosnan's perspective, it's from uh, Jeffrey Rushes, Rush who plays uh, uh, the the titular Taylor of Panama. Taylor of Panama, yeah. Um, the Brosnan character comes off like a complete dick, and Brosnan <laughs> Brosnan is smart storyteller, and he knows this, and he plays his Bond persona. He sort of plays up where you think this guy's going to do something heroic at some point, and he just continually is awful and does everything that's really bad mm -hmm. uh, without spoiling everything. That's what's happening. The, the super spy in question is. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's banished. If, he, if that were a real type of guy in real yeah. life and you were just the schlub who had some inside information that he needed, this is how it would go. The reversal is that you're, you're following the schlub's perspective throughout the entire movie. Uh, it's a really great, performance it's fantastic by brosnan because it's a loaded gun of a role for him it's just here you go fire off one of these every 15 minutes and you're going to be totally memorable mm -hmm. and awesome and he, he you know he's awesome in it but it's jeffrey rush has to who's also kind of a, a, a i think rather broad performer really has to take it down a few notches for this film to work and he does very admirably. He definitely plays a twitchy, eccentric guy, which you would expect from Jeffrey being cast. But yep. it, it's a it's a soft and quiet observer to this world of spies. The plot is complicated, and I've seen this movie four times, and I still couldn't really tell you. It's, it, it all has to do with the transfer of the canal, and like I don't, you know, I don't know. The Panama Canal, yeah, and the. Uh... Which is a time that is rife for it's a time that is rife for chaos and in this yeah. case thievery. And it's kind of a Casablanca sort of uh, uh, environment, but where there's like as uh, this thing in the New York Times that I thought is like it's a Casablanca with no heroes. Uh, <laughs> right. the, the, the area that that part of Panama, yeah, right, um, um, yeah, really, but it's. It's it shows you uh, it really more than any of these. This is this is the film that takes on the Bond films directly, you know. And as much as he can, it's still very much a Le Carre novel. But it because because a Bond type guy is not our hero in this. The closest to that really you get ever is the spy who came in from the cold. That's the guy, the hardened spy master behind the scenes guy, you know, and he's, mm -hmm. he's, he's as close as it comes. And after that, he's really not interested in that guy anymore. Um, but when, he, when that same dude shows up in this film, it's, it, he, he, I don't know that he's the villain per se, but he's. He's the guy causing all the trouble for our for our hero, and that's a fun yeah. reversal. And it's it's a pretty fun movie. Every, it's all the glamour from a Bond movie, except when you really see it for what it is. It's not glamorous. It's it's degradation, and it's it's kind of messy and ugly and awful. And yeah. that works great in that film. So, I, and the film is equally really really good. So. Um, Panama is an exotic place that's okay. not in a lot of films, and mm -hmm. it, it, it comes vividly to life in that movie, too, which is fun.
Right. Um, all right. So next up is uh, I think it's my, I think it's either my favorite or my second favorite Lacare adaptation, uh-huh. um, and, and that's the Constant Gardener. Um, you know, I love Rachel Weisz. I love her with the passion of a burning sun. Um, she won the Oscar for her role in this, and she is again not the villain, but she is the catalyst with which our she's hero dead. is essentially tortured and and brought through all the paces he's brought through she's the she's the element that's introduced into the story that causes him all sorts of trouble and this one's uh yeah this one's interesting because it's uh the the story is about um you know what first quote-unquote first world countries uh how they how they test things out on third world countries before they uh before they, you know, get them <laughs> available to uh, their own citizens. Yes. Um, and that's uh, and that's what happens. Yeah, and Western so it's Europe very much about finds... yeah Western Europe, England, and in this case Africa, which is obviously mm-hmm. a very volatile place. Uh, it's got conflict diamonds wrapped up into it, and it's got a very typical Lucare plot that again we're not really going to go into blow by blow. But the point is, the fella, the the again, he's the titular character, just like the tailor of Panama, the constant gardener, is played by Ray Fiennes, beautifully played by Ray Fiennes. Yeah, because this this amongst all these guys, Connery's character rushes. This guy's the ultimate refinement of the not a heroic guy. This is just a guy. Yeah. He really he's very clever and smart, but he's just a guy who likes quietly working in his garden you know what i mean who falls in love with this activist um who brings him into this world uh, unbeknownst to her even uh you know of of rather high intrigue or like joel really said this sort of dark guinea pig experiment that he becomes wrapped up in Mm. and his decisions are based on the things that these spies aren't it, and that Lucari really is saying something because you're going to hear this again and again and again. There, this is a person who's not part of this and what they do and why they do it is totally different. It's not like they're trying to ruin the plot of the the spies, uh, you know, on the side of the West or whatever, but he just can't be relied on to do things out of duty purely because he's got all these other things going on. I mean, in this case, this guy's madly in love with this woman and what he's doing to protect what he's willing to do to protect her. And ultimately what he's willing to do to protect what she was doing is amazing. And how a guy of his limited action hero ability is able to do it is also amazing. It's a really, really cool story. I agree. Yeah really well told for the screen to the point that unlike some of these, which were all kind of eh, pretty good, but it wasn't very exciting or it wasn't this or that. Cause they're all kind of like that to the, uh, to conventional audiences at the time. But the, this story at least got some recognition for Rachel. It's a kind of a weird performance cause she's fantastic in it, but I don't know that it's not a best supporting actor when, like we like to see for men where they show up and just explode onto the screen. Tear doors down. Yeah. Yeah. She actually is, this you know, is... it, it's, it's also kind of, it's, she's a more quirky and a much bigger screen presence than finds is, but she's still a very, very real, believably sort of damaged and human element in the story. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
that's really really well it's really well done by her so i like yeah. that yeah yeah it's great that's a compliment not a <laughs> not a diss but you know right, right. usually it's like well which girl who played a sassy hooker is going to win best act, uh, supporting actress this year <laughs> the hooker with a heart of gold well we really had i don't know how many of those down. win in a row there for a while and it, it that's what constituted a great female performance was yeah. no offense, but was Whoopi Goldberg and ghost, not Rachel Weiss and the constant gardener. So that it represents an evolution of thinking too, that I think is really, really positive. Yeah. Um, um, so next up, we're going to take a, we're going to leap forward in time a bit to talk about um, another, uh, another, series. but this era, that's pretty great. Isn't yeah. it? Those handful of films. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's good stuff. Um, well, that's a, that's a good point. There's, you know, it kind of, after uh you know after spy Hook came in from the cold we get a you know there's a sort of a break as you said there were some other adaptations that didn't do well and then there's sort of a a glut uh, or a, you know a flood of lacare adaptations and then there's a, again there's a little bit of a break um between like russia house and taylor of panama and then we get another little you know we get taylor panama and constant gardner pretty much one on top of each other and then there's another little break here and then we get um a movie that we're going to talk about later, but then we uh, we get the Night Manager, uh, a a British miniseries, um, uh, with uh, yeah, with back to miniseries. That's deliberate. Yeah, back, back to, to a yeah. back to a more simply told story. This one's a little globe trotting, but it's still it's not. Nobody's hanging off the edge of bridges or duking it out on trains or anything like that. They're they're moving around all these different locations. But this was this film was literally like you couldn't make this movie today. It's a shame because of the Brexit makes this kind of thing kind of impossible. Whereas when they were making it, it was kind of all one country and you could move around and you could have for an, in a TV miniseries you could have five different lo- exotic European locations. Uh, very very cool starring uh tom hiddleston as the titular night manager night manager <laughs> i yep. like saying that as the titular um, character the titular character. the night manager uh, yep and uh, and uh hugh laurie hugh laurie brilliant in it as who we're gonna kind of call the villain but that again that's never really clear in these stories mm-hmm. um, um read the synopsis one, I, for this so they can have a it, sense of what it is but Great little, great little like two sentence blurb here. Jonathan Pine, night manager of a luxury hotel in Cairo and former British soldier, is recruited by Angela Burr, the manager of a foreign and Commonwealth office task force investigating illegal arms sales, to infiltrate the inner circle of an arms dealer, Richard Roper. So a guy with all the tools to be a spy, recruited to be a spy, but still somewhat of an outsider to the situation. Who plays Angela mm-hmm. Burr in it? She's great, too. Um, it is uh, Olivia Coleman. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Okay, so let's just not leave her off the table. She's very yeah, yeah. popular these days. Um, so that's what you're talking about, Hugh Laurie, Tom Hiddleston, and uh, Olivia Coleman. So if you haven't seen this, that ought to do it. That really should do it yep. for you. Loki's in it watch it <laughs> house is in it you know what i mean watch uh, it the seriously queen is in it the yeah. queen is in it uh, it's yeah. really really good it's a really it's, really good miniseries it's based yeah, it's on a really parts. clever it's, novel um yeah yeah where if you've been watching up to this point because i think if you watch carefully russia house doesn't quite prepare you for taylor of panama but taylor of panama pretty much telegraphs what's going to happen in constant gardener like there there's this sort of 
you know, some of these books, believe it or not, we're not getting into endings or twists, and we're not going to start now. But some of these have a happy ending. They do. <laughs> some of them yeah. do not. Perhaps even the majority, a solid majority, do not. Um, but you don't know. He's got enough happy endings littered throughout here that you might get one. And you really, really want one every time. And that's that's... It's really that more than what it actually ends up being that's important. It's your mm -hmm. wanting to root for things to work out desperately. That is needed to get you from A to Z in these stories. And th this one is, this one works on you slowly. You are, you know who the hero is because he's the big movie star. He's the good looking movie star. He's not hard to spot. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, it's like you get what's going on. So, but it's a, this is a slow burn of a thing. It really is a novel for th the television. But that's, those are working out everywhere you look, you know, on Netflix mm -hmm. and stuff, these limited series and stuff. Yes. Yeah. This is so good. And again, it revitalized, to a lesser degree, the movie we skipped did this too. We're kind of saving that for the end because to me it's it's um, signature, it we'll just say. Yeah. Uh, but... Night Manager showed that there's a whole audience for this type of thing and, and that Le Carre really sings in this format. That was the lesson we learned all the way back in 1979. Um, yep. You know what I mean? But but they learned it again as as viewing audiences have become more, uh, more uh, sophisticated due to streaming limited series with beginnings, middles, and ends. And this is, it's ultimate. It's as good a thing as is on this list. So I, we highly, yeah. and it's new, 2016. Uh, mm -hmm. Go get it. Go get it. It's um, good. And then a couple of years later, we get uh, a remake of the. Um, got the band back together again. All the same yeah. people who made Night Manager got back together again to. Make little, a remake of Little Drummer Girl. Right. Which is not again, a remake of Little Drummer Girl, obviously, but a, but yeah. a, a new rather proper adaptation of it. Little Drummer Girl's tougher story by far. It's it is tougher than the Night Manager. It just is that story has abuse and there's things in it that are pretty ugly. But Little Drummer Girl really is it's it's weird. It's like it's like it it's it's not this, but it has the effect of watching a hostage turn over to the side of the people who are kidnapping and abusing her. Right. That's a that's just a difficult subject to tackle and and it that's kind of what it is it's you really don't that's the beauty of it you really don't know if what you know whether her inoculation is fake or real that's the whole point of the character being an actor you and being a liar you just don't know <laughs> ever until right. until you do and um there's lots of tension in that and great who's to the woman who plays her in this florence Pugh. So fantastic, yeah. uh, complicated younger actor who played a role that's worthy of her sort of uh, yeah. it's, her mystery and her duplicity. It's yeah, outstanding. Again, a, great, a great triumvirate of of uh, people anchoring this film with Michael Shannon and Alexander Skarsgård um, <laughs> as the um, two you know. two angels and demon, mm -hmm. if you will. Which is what you'll have to decide on her shoulder. Mm -hmm. uh, it's great, but it isn't. It it's it it gets a hit, I think, in the reaction department, in that it is not the crowd pleasing 
uh, you know what I mean? Thing Mm -hmm. that Night Manager is. It just isn't that. There's not a nice, clean uh, domino effect to an ending. It is just far more complicated than that. It's an older story from a different era, from when he was writing in a slightly different way. And that, it's great, though. It's so good. Mm -hmm. It's so good. But... But it is different. Um, and we and then we uh, move on. Uh, so actually, a couple of years before Night Manager, uh, these next two these next two uh, films, I actually for some reason have not seen. Even holy cow, I put them I, together I, because they again this was kind of made by the same people. Uh, these two movies and yeah. Uh, so it's, yeah, and I don't know why I haven't seen these, but I didn't see. Them. If you're into uh, Le Carre and you haven't seen them, then it, you don't feel bad. Well, feel excited. These, you get yeah, to watch these, them; they're awesome. Yeah, and these, you know, these casts that are we're about to talk about are pretty bonkers. It's got, you know got great pedigree. Uh, yeah. In 2014, we have a Most Wanted Man with it's kind of Seymour the Hoffman. final starring role of Philip Seymour Hoffman. It, that film, if it has any fame or notoriety, it is that. Uh, technically, the last movie he worked on was the final uh, 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 Katniss movie film. or whatever. But oh, right, the uh, the Hunger Games. He didn't quite finish that one. Um, but uh, but this was his final released film with him in a major role. So. Mm-hmm. And it's um, a most wanted man. It's about a. This is really. This is a throwback story, which is great. Or maybe it's an old book. I don't think it is actually, but it, it feels like an older book. No, it can't be an older book because it's all about post nine eleven terrorism and stuff. Um, it's it's uh, it's about this old school German operative, Gunther or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I just was, oh, I just was looking at it. And then I play, play anyway, played by Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah. It's a German, you're again, European, uh, Gunther it's a, Bachmann. It's an English film with using almost entirely German and ethnic cast. It has two Hollywood ringers in it though. The first of which obviously is the star Philip Seymour yeah. Hoffman. This is in order to get it watched by more than just Germans. Yeah, um, I mean, it's got, actually, it's got a little handful of, of American ringers. with. Yeah, Rachel but only McAdams. two that are playing Germans. Oh, sure. Oh, oh I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right. McAdams. There's actually um, American characters in it played by Americans. Robin Wright is at the yeah. top of that list. Um, Willem Dafoe. Uh, yeah, William I, Dafoe, I William Dafoe plays a German, too. So, yeah. And I think most significantly, uh, my favorite actor of her generation... Um, I'm not gonna remember her name. She's awesome, Rachel McAdams. Rachel I remember. McAdams, yeah. You didn't have to tell me, Joel. Are you proud of me? Uh, yes, of course I am. I'm always proud of you. Thank Joel. you. Um, anyway, Rachel McAdams is a lawyer who gets wrapped up in this thing that involves high, high finance banking, and terrorism, and uh, all kinds of craziness, and these two characters. From the for two old school characters, two holdovers from the Cold War, one played by Philip Seymour Hoffman, the other played by Robin Wright, um, are doing this joint thing to get this information from this guy and to expose this terrorist ring. Yeah, and it's about all the ways that you do that and all the ways that people are affected and harmed by that. I think McAdams has the toughest role in it because she. She both plays sort of a prisoner. She's sort of a person who's um, 
brought into this sort of unwillingly, but she's sort of, she's different in that she brings herself into it on purpose in the first place. So it, it's yeah. it, it, Hoffman wisely. And she, it's this great exchange. And I'm, I don't think it's spoiling too much to say this. So I will, but he just says, you know, when we, we picked you up and put that hood over your head and threw you into the back of that van, they said that you kind of kicked and screamed, but that you kind of let them do it. <laughs> They've done this a few mm-hmm. times, you know, and I'm not doing a German accent when I'm saying this. It's very charming when Philip Seymour Hoffman says it. And, it. and oddly enough, this conversation puts it at ease when he says it. But he says, I think you're here because you 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 wanted somebody to take this over for you. <laughs> right. That's why I think you're here. And we're um, the ones that can do it. That's how you should view this situation. Yeah. I, um, like this, I mean, this, this one little line from a New York Times uh, article, it just it talks about kind of the whole the whole um, movie. It kind of hinges on. His mission is to make the world a safer place, but he worries that he's doing more harm than good. You know, yeah. in, in doing what he's supposed to be doing, he, he doesn't know that he, he, he might be causing deeper harm. And that's there's very much a crisis of conscience at the center of that yeah, character this, for that reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and his bond with this American uh, section chief, they, they have, you know, and the fact that it's a man and a woman, I mean, that makes it, that affects it in a different way. Uh, it's, is interesting. Mm-hmm. Robin Wright is fantastic in it. I tell you my favorite joke about it, but it spoils it. So I won't do that. Yeah. But a most wanted man mm-hmm. is a very, very worthy, very worthy old school at old school type of Jean Le Carre story. Cause the, the hero, the heroes, the people we're privy to really are these insider people, which we haven't seen that in a while. And and who that guy is, who that, that German guy is. And, and, you know, Cornwall, Cornwall knows a lot about Germans and the culture, the philosophy of these people. And this guy, I have no doubt is based on a guy that he probably knew. Um, but it's in this modern, really ugly, complicated anti-terrorist setting and who we are in that setting is different than who we are in a Cold War setting. It's just a, it 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 requires mm-hmm. you to be different and act differently, and yeah, uh, it's messier and kind of awful. So this is a really good film. Um, all right, and then next up is our kind of traitor. Yeah, again, uh, kind of another awesome cast: Ewan McGregor, Naomi Harris, Stellan Skarsgård, Damian Lewis. Um. Yeah. Uh, Ewan McGregor is a professor and uh, Naomi Harris, his wife, is a barrister and they're on holiday someplace in Europe. I don't know that it's super important. It's someplace exotic anyway. And they bump into the restaurant. They bump into all these Russian mobsters having this big party. And they're having marital problems, which are, we haven't talked much about it, but which are definitely a central theme of the married people in John McGarney's novels. Yeah, Joel yeah. got it out in his quote. So a lot of them aren't married. They're true loners. That's really more yeah. the norm. But when you bump into one, yeah, usually they have some marital problems and usually it's the guy's fault. So I don't know what that means in his books thematically, but Ewan, they're, they're having this makeup vacation. They're trying to make their marriage work despite some uh, goofiness that he's committed against their um fidelity and uh and it's kind of working but it's kind of that pain from those sorts of things linger and the bitterness comes out 
it just has to come out and that has to kind of run its course. And to a certain degree, that has to never end. If you've ever jilted somebody, you really, it's your job, if you want to make it to work, to tolerate that every time it happens. But it's painful to do that because you feel like you're never forgiven. And if you're a person who's been through that on the other side of that, you can't help but do that even after you've forgiven somebody and moved on. You, you, it comes out that negative, whatever it is, it can build up in you years and years, you know, and then it comes out. So that's what makes it hard. And that's what makes it kind of a miracle. And you really rooting for these two characters. These are great actors who play in very likable people. You want them to work it out. You're glad they're trying to work it out. You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, But that, that's a little different for them. And this is a lot like the Russia house where Skarsgård plays this guy who has been around the block and has a lot of stuff that could be useful to to uh, to intelligence agencies as uh, you know as mm-hmm. long as the intelligence agencies are really fighting the good fight against dirty money in Europe and the question becomes are we really who's getting rich from all this russian oligarchy and crime money which there are trillions you know who's getting rich Who's getting rich off of that? That's just a really valid question. The movie asks it. We've been asking it for the last few years in a way that we weren't previously um, when this film came out, for example, because that 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 money is, is a powerful thing in the world. Money is, is as powerful a thing as there is in the world. Yeah, love is powerful, but money... No, money makes the world go round. Money is the thing that fuels the world machine <laughs> in a way that love, I'm sorry, just doesn't. So... So who's on whose side in that situation? That's a great question. That's that's more of a constant gardener question. Um, yeah. It's a really neat mix of all those things. Obviously, Skarsgård is good. All the people who play his sort of immediate family is good. The guys who play the mobsters are terrifying. Um, but it really is about it, who's the guy. I mean, he Ewan McGregor asks him later in the movie, why did you reach out to us? He goes... Well, because you were the only other person in the restaurant that night. <laughs> that's right. the answer. And <laughs> yeah. that's not the total answer, but that's where it starts. That's really is. Yeah. You, you you were it. I mean, you were the guy I met that I could ask this of, and I didn't know if it would work. When, uh, who's the redheaded guy you just said his name? Damien Lewis. Yeah. He's the intelligence officer who takes on mm-hmm. this case. Damien Lewis says... Um, you know, he says to him, why did he pick you? You know, it's all this <laughs> whatever. Yeah, yeah. And Ewan's like, I don't know. I think he was punting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's it's that it's, it's it, how it, an it, average it, person it, gets wrapped up in a thing like it this. It makes me it makes me think of uh uh the man with one red shoe, that that the kind of the the comedy the eighties comedy with Tom Hanks. Um, where it was just like you need the this spy needed to throw people off this set and he just sees a guy walking through the uh the airport with one red tennis shoe on yeah and just and choose instead of the nun with the shades he chooses the man with one red shoe and it just becomes a uh one of those farces where something almost happens like 40 times until it actually happens so fans of big business will really really dig man with one red shoe you should check (laughs) that out that's a that's a pretty fun movie i have to say with a a fantastic dabney coleman performance ah yeah Really yeah. good. I mean, Dabney's always what he—he's money. But every once in a while, he's able to go to the dark side 
you know, it's the edge. Mm -hmm. He plays guys like the guys he plays in war games or whatever that makes him great. But it, every once in a while, they just let him just go be the yeah. bad guy, dude. <laughs> He's yep. so great when he does. Yeah. Um, that's fun. That's a, that's a, I mean, that's a comedy, but that's a pretty clever, it's Lacare-esque in a way. And that the dude is just a guy, just a guy who, because something was noticed about him that was sort of different. Yep. Gets wrapped yeah, up in this crazy espionage thing. Yeah. And you can, yeah, you can, you know, we've seen, there's been a few, there's been a few even modern sort of comedies that have sort of taken that uh, taken that approach too. Yeah, but none uh, that none lately that are bold enough to not have a jibber jabbery talky joke well, yeah, a second hero at the heart of it. I didn't say they were good comedies. I just said that they were. Tom Hanks and Man with One Red Shoe just plays a, a, a concert violinist. I want to say. Yep, it's the violinist coming yep. back from Russia because there's some culture exchange business. But mm -hmm. he plays a uh, he gets to go a little crazy at the end when the world really gets crazy around him from a comedy standpoint, but he mostly is just a guy in it. That's part of the joy of it is that he, he gets that he's just a guy and he's not when the hot chick spy played by Laurie Singer starts coming on to him and stuff. He's, he can't believe it's happening to him. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have yeah. a, a comeback line for everything that happens in the movie. Most of it, he's like, what? <laughs> until finally yeah. there's so many was, and they're getting so much bigger and bigger that he can't, he can't deny them anymore. Mm -hmm. That's a fun film. That's a good pull because I don't know when we'd ever talk about that. And I actually like the, that movie it, a lot. Uh, yeah, that that's one of those movies that I watched. Uh, like if I was ever homesick. Yeah, good, uh, good, good go basic films. cable film yeah, for yeah. sure from that era. All right. So our final film that we're going to talk about is uh, the, the film remake of the mini series of the limited series back in 79 and again it's not a film okay, remake it's a it's another adaptation of the source material yeah novel. it's a yeah but it's yeah so, uh but it's none it's of these are remakes what was, yeah so it's um uh it, it's it's taking that story that was uh uh done in several episodes in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy back in 79 and turning it into a like, mean mean boom, 157 gonna, film and, and with again just an absolute bonkers cast well this uh, this truly and this story needs this and the miniseries had it too it had the mini it had the 79 miniseries version of it but yeah. this these parts played by these people at the top of their game at this time is is and the beautiful cinematography the incredibly gorgeous music the it, it, everything about this production is near perfect if you watch only one john le carré adaptation and if you've never seen any from this list and you don't like black and white 60s noir yeah this is the one to watch. This is the one yeah, to watch. It so, is nearly perfect an adaptation. Yeah. Anchored by uh, anchored by Gary Oldman as our um, good pal George Smiley. Yeah, as George great, Smiley. Great role uh, for him. Uh, I, just boy, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, Colin Firth, Tom Hardy, uh, Toby uh, Jones, Kieran yeah, Hines, Kieran Hines, John Hurt, Toby Jones, Mark, Mark Strong. Strong. It's I mean it's got my favorite yeah, Mark Strong performance in it. It's it's such a good Mark Strong. It's, this, it's really really good. This is, this is the one where I was like, I like him. I and like he would. Be, I'm like, oh, that's that guy from Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I like him. 
we're supposed um, to hate him in most of his movies, although he does a TV series too where he's really rather likable guy. But he doesn't get to play the likable guy much. He really does play yeah. the the bad guy a, a lot. Um, yeah. And this guy isn't necessarily a good guy in a conventional sense. It's, it's a, a guy who's a... He really brings out the humanity of him in a short amount of time and it makes the film... The film doesn't have time to do that with any of these people and the way it does it is so strong. Um, mm -hmm. It really gets to the heart of what that story is in such a quick way while still feeling like you you've been down the rabbit hole with these people. Yep. It, it, it's full and satisfying too. It's not just, it's not, I don't think it will feel particularly fast paced for most modern movie watchers, but just to know the earlier mini series, I've never read the book, but to know the earlier mini series and to know how these reveals and things are sort of paced out mm -hmm. and to watch that same story kind of jump all over in time and all over and to have it still kind of pay off in the end. This film needs your attention. You really, and you won't yeah. get everything if, unless you're quite a bit smarter than me or have read it, but you, you get it enough by the time it's over that it, it, it really, it makes everything that comes before sing in a mm -hmm. glorious way. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I kind of glibly say this, uh, I try not not to say it much anymore, but I, in the early days of this podcast, I would say it way too much. There's not a wasted frame of film on this in in this film. Every single moment is in there, very intentionally put. No, I, I agree. Um, it, it, it means it, means means something that there, there there is. So even if it's a moment where you like, it, it, where it, you know, it, like 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 the Benedict like Benedict Cumberbatch in the uh, in the library. Um, when he, he's, uh, yeah, that, that moment that like, there's not a, a single moment that isn't intentional and meant to, uh, that doesn't have to, some meaning and that's not, yeah. Or and that doesn't, doesn't, isn't part of the, some small piece of the overall puzzle that helps the whole thing feel complete and, and helps you, the viewer feel more enriched by it. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, without going again, without going into the details, I don't think there's any point. We sort of talked a little bit about what the plot yeah. was about back when we talked about the miniseries, but I will bring up one thing that it does that I think is maybe the most, it does a lot of things that are really genius, but it, the one thing that I think is the most genius about it is there's this. And I think it, from the, we see it about three different times throughout the film. Um, but I think in the timeline of the film, it's the oldest thing we see. There's a office Christmas party at the circus. Mm -hmm. um, the circus again being the the uh, the government agency. That's what they call. That. It's just a it's just a Christmas party. Yeah, it it really isn't anything more than that. And that mm -hmm. that alone is is what's what's special and interesting about it. And it our viewing different bits and pieces of it or different details from it. The more we learn about the people that we know throughout the story um it's it's an incredible artistic choice that is yeah that i just bow in awe to because it's purely there's some dialogue in it but it that part of the film is pure cinema it's pure visual storytelling and and the character and visual storytelling usually is like 
you know, how Tom Hardy gets from one end of a caravan in the desert in Mad Max Fury Road. That's visual storytelling, too. It's delightful. But this is character stuff that's really hard to pull off without talking. Or yeah, it's yeah. really easy to pull off without talking as long as you put it in the proper context. It's just, it just sort of blows my mind. It's such a yeah. such a good movie. Who directed that? We should tell them a few of the people in it. Yeah, that one is... Um, uh, uh, Thomas Alfredson. Yeah, Alfredson directed it. Hoyt Van Hoytman shot it, yeah. and the melancholy again, the very uh, rainy um, piano and saxophone music. Same as the, and these stories take place at the same time, mid '60s, as the spy who came in from the cold. The yeah. score who did that? Uh, Alberto Iglesias. Just outstanding. Standing support work from those from the, the designers involved the design of the circuses every shot in it, it there's something interesting to point the camera at it's so awesome the very lived in quality of the 60s at different parts of Europe that you visit uh, mm -hmm. the, the compare and contrast between Strong's character and like Hardy's character and what they're going through and you know Hardy it is a great example he feels like a guy who's in a different Jean Le Carre novel off over mm -hmm. here that just intersects with us for a brief period of time in this story but he feels that fully realized like he's this whole journey is his own yeah it's just it's really, really good. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy is... It's is, a film you have to be just, patient with and you really have to pay close attention to. It's mm -hmm. not... But it's so good. It's really, really but strong we, what, Yeah, once oh, once you see it, it's the kind of film that you're going to be telling... You're like, I just saw Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and you're going to want to talk about it. You're going to want to... Yeah, it's... Um, yeah, I dig that movie a lot. Yeah. A lot, a lot. That's why we um, saved it for last. So this would sort of did. feel like a countdown. Yep. So that's yeah. So that's that's number one on our countdown. I guess sort of. I'm going to talk really high about hey, it. We just um, gave you a, a hodgepodge of stuff. A long whatever twelve piece menu of things you get to choose from. We suggest yeah. you try it all. But in this mm -hmm. case, we really suggest you try it all. It's because same with Jane Austen. You know, it's like this. What we think this is better than that or whatever. But it, this yeah. all there's nothing here we really don't like. Even the worst no, of this stuff is rewarding in its own way. That's what's mm -hmm. special about Le Carre, that his adaptations, which are not terribly cinematic in a in a thriller sense, still always work wonderfully because of the depth of storytelling that it starts mm -hmm. with. And any attempt to bring that to life on screen, any honest attempt to do it, has worked out in something at least interesting, if not tremendously involving. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I agree. I think that's a great place to leave it. Cool. Um, so, all right, folks. Uh, thank you again uh, so much for listening to this episode of The Movie Show with John Ryan. Uh, please reach out to us if you have um, your own thoughts on uh, John le Carre. Uh, anything know, we missed? There are a few things we didn't talk yeah, about. Anything so. we missed? Anything that, like, because we didn't talk about novel versus movie, is there anything that... Any movies we, that he got uh, wrong? Because I haven't read many of these yeah. novels. They're hard. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Is there something like, oh, my God. They, They're challenging movies to watch. Book. There actually yeah. can be very challenging novels to read, even though they're written yeah. for all of us. 
you know, it's so I um, and yeah, I there's a reason why these novels are popular. They're 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 really good. They're really they're really really good. Stuff. Yeah. But um, uh, so yeah, so reach out to us at the movie show with Joel and Ryan page on Facebook at Ask Joel and Ryan on Twitter and Instagram. Ask Joel and Ryan at gmail.com. And if you're watching this on YouTube, you can like and subscribe. Leave us a comment below. Yeah, please subscribe. And you guys, I, I hate to say this. Give us a like. I hate to leave on a bum note. Why aren't you liking stuff? Seriously, that's not hard. I get. It's mean, hard. I mean, like us, we're good people. If you see us come across your feed, you don't have to wait to watch the show to put like on Facebook. Think of the things that you like on Facebook. Really think about it for a second. Help mm -hmm. us out. This is the only thing that gets us in front of new faces is you guys spreading us about. And the easiest way for you to do it is to just click like. And I really think go. that if you can say in your heart that you like us at all, you'll start clicking and you'll do it now and you really do it from now on. Yep, click. I mean, this... Because this, we need This logo it. alone. This hey, logo alone is worth a like. It is. We Go need ahead, it. Give it a like. We need it um, to continue. So I just wanted to <laughs> throw that little guilt trip in at the end. <laughs> um, but we love you. Uh, yeah. This isn't meant to... Yeah. Uh, so thank you so much for those of you who did listen all the way through. Yeah. Um, we do appreciate that. And um, yeah, and we will... See you next time on the movie show with Joel and Ryan. And who knows what that show will be about? It's a mystery. You just have this to read week all we the do way not to the know. End. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the movie show with Joel and Ryan. Remember, all views and opinions represented in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the speaker and do not represent those people, institutions, or organizations that the speaker may or may not be associated with, unless explicitly stated. None of these views and opinions were intended to malign or deceive. And now, here's the producers, circa 1982, to play us out. <laughs>